Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Do you like sports? Cause we like sports. Let's talk about sports. It's Sports Shack. Sports Shack. It's Sports Shack. Sports Shack presents Irish Tales with Chuck Freebie and Bob Nagel. Stories from the land of the fighting Irish on the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Hi, everybody. It's Chuck Freeby. Welcome to another edition of Irish Tales, along with the tale master, Bob Nagel. And what's on your mind today, Mr. Nagel? Well, Chuck, you know, there's so many different, obviously, uh, subjects that we could talk about from week to week, and we're going to try to do that. But I had a thought this past week about uh, all the athletes that have been at Notre Dame. Uh, I had a friend of mine in town who had played football at Notre Dame, but also played one-year basketball for Digger Phelps, Frank Alaco. And, sure. Uh, so we got to talking about how many uh, athletes at Notre Dame have been successful playing more than one sport. And, of course, in recent years, we go to Cole Komet, who was a great left-handed pitcher for the Irish and a great football player. And, uh, you just you know, you go to Pat Connaughton, who did a great job, had a unique situation at Notre Dame. But over the years, so many athletes, going all the way back to Rockney, who not only – ran track and field and played football, but was in theater. He, he was in a couple yeah. of plays at Notre Dame. So it's been a very uh, diverse group uh, over the years, and uh, some really big names have, uh, have helped the Irish sports teams. Well, honestly, if, if you want to go back to the Rockney era, it was not unusual for athletes to play more than one sport back in that day. I believe Gip did. He played all kinds of sports. Yeah, some of them legal. <laughs> yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And one of the, uh, in doing a little bit of research on this, you know, Sleepy Jim Crowley, who was one of the Four Horsemen, was mm-hmm. also he's also Notre Dame's all time leading goaltender in hockey. He gave up uh, I think one goal in three games or whatever, and and that's the record. But um, there was a point at Notre Dame where if you're playing a sport, you could get some relief on your parietals. Um, in other words, you had to be back in your dorm room right after dinner or whatever it was, unless you were in another sport. So a lot of guys did track and field. They did baseball. They did other things 
to allow them to be kind of out and about a little bit longer uh, back in those days. Well, Crowley, what was his second sport? Was it hockey? It was hockey, yeah. So at that point, Notre Dame, quote-unquote, had a varsity hockey team. It was probably more like a club hockey team back then because most colleges weren't playing hockey. But I believe, and we both did play-by-play for Notre Dame hockey, I believe Jim Crowley still has the goals against average record right. as a as a goaltender. Yeah, yeah, he gave up one goal in three games, I think it was. And uh, you know, when you look you look back at those times, I mean, they played on the lake. You know, they had to wait till St. Joe Lake or St. Mary's Lake was frozen over. And uh, you know, when you go back to hockey, I can remember when an, another uh, two way performer, Eric Norrie was a defensive lineman for the Irish football team, but also played hockey when they played at Howard Park. And he checked okay. the guy into the boards in the corner, and the corner came loose, and and the wood was flying all over the place, so they had to push it back. And people had to actually stand there and hold the board in uh, in place so, so they could finish. But um, he was a, another one. When you think back to all these different things, and you brought up a couple names uh, the other day when we were talking about it. Well, the guy that I tend to remember, and, and one of the reasons I kind of remember his story, is uh, Johnny Lujak. Mm-hmm. And Johnny Lujak, of course, Heisman Trophy winner at Notre Dame, my fellow Indiana Football Hall of Famer. We went in the <laughs> same class, you know, because <laughs> sure. it took the folks at the Indiana Football Hall of Fame 70 years to realize, hey, this Lujak guy, he may have been good. He was pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> he was good. Yeah. But he played basketball uh, for George Keegan. And in fact, uh, 1943, Notre Dame, I think, won the Helms right. National Championship. Which you have to remember, in, in the era before the NCAA tournament, basketball championships were a little bit like football championships. You, if you found somebody that was going to give you one, you went ahead, took it, and claimed it. And said, thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. So he, he played for George Keegan on the basketball team in 43. And then I think when he came back from the war and Notre Dame was shorthanded, uh, I want to say that he also um, played baseball yes, he did. and ran track. And I think he did that on the same day one time. He was on the baseball diamond, ran over, did the high jump, put his baseball pants back on, went back... <laughs> And did yep. his stuff as a – so when the team came in from the field and he wasn't batting, he went a, across the street, did the high jump, put the baseball pants back on, went out into the field. I understand he also set a record in the 90-foot uh, dash, right? He sold second? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. So. Yeah. Uh, there's so many uh, – you know, when we think – and we're going to go down through this list of some of the names that we remember, but – uh, a player like Joe Montana came in. Joe Montana could have played pro football, could have played pro basketball, could have played pro baseball. He was a very gifted athlete. And over the years, we've known a lot of those type of athletes. And, uh, you know, maybe you got, especially today, coaches always want you to play one sport a little bit more than they used mm-hmm. to. And I know every coach that I've ever known, football coach that recruits, loves guys who play other sports. Uh, we, we took a kid from Minnesota one time who was a swimmer, an all-state swimmer. And they wanted to be a great tight end for us. But those other muscles that were developed in swimming helped him out a bunch. So Montana, the story as I've heard it over the years, and and you were around campus more than I was back at that time, 
He comes off the bench in 75 and saves both the Carolina and the Air Force games. Mm-hmm. Purdue was in there too, I think. Uh, that wasn't until 77. Okay. So yeah. se- 75, he saves those two games. Can't see the field in 76. Right. And so he goes to Digger and says, hey, I want to join the basketball team. And Digger's like, you're a Notre Dame quarterback. Yeah. You you know. And he says, yeah. He goes, but Coach Devine didn't play me last year. He goes, would you be interested in having me on the basketball team? And, and Montana was recruited heavily as a basketball player oh, yeah. out of Pennsylvania. And Digger's... Digger told him, no, stick it out. So you mentioned the Purdue game, 77 Purdue game. Rusty Lish starts and is having a, a miserable day. Complete allowed passes to the other guys. Yeah. Gary Forstek comes in off the bench, and he takes a hit that today would have led to criminal proceedings. <laughs> At that time, even though they had to bring an ambulance onto the field and take him away, he was knocked out cold. Right. Not even a flag. Yeah. No targeting? No targeting. Yeah. Lish comes back in. Montana thought, sure, this was going to be his moment. But this is how deep he was in Dan Devine's doghouse, apparently. Lish comes back in. Again, sputters. And finally, they put Montana in when Notre Dame is trailing 24-10. to He rallies them for three touchdowns in... Basically a quarter and a smidge. And they beat Purdue 31-24. And oh, by the way, from there they go on to win the national championship. He was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like I said, we we used to play softball. We had a a, a charity team. And Joe would come and play softball with us. Another sport he was good in. Yeah. Yeah. He played basketball with us. And uh, it was great because he just truly was a guy who enjoyed athletics and competition. And uh, he was just a terrific, uh, terrific guy here at Notre Dame. Well, on the bookstore courts, so this was before they put in the rule that the football players had to wait until their senior year to play. And I think Joe won all four years that he was here in bookstore basketball. Luther Bradley tells a wonderful story, and I don't know if you've heard this one or not. Luther's playing on another team from Joe. And he gets a steal, and he's going in, and he's trying to decide whether I'm going to dunk it or lay it up. Questions you and I never had to answer in life. (laughs) But Luther's deciding whether I want to dunk it or just lay it in. He says, I didn't get the footwork right, so I'm just going to lay it in. And all of a sudden, from behind me, my shot is swatted away. And Joe laughs and says, don't send a boy to do a man's work. (laughs) Oh, my you know, so much of a legend, uh, Joe Montana, did so many different things while he's here that people are eager to tell stories about. And, uh, you know, when you think about, uh, you know, bookstore basketball over the years had, you know, some phenomenal teams and, uh, and better names even. <laughs> Absolutely. Than, more than anything else in the info teams. But uh, I was thinking, too, about Bengal bouts. And if you counted, you know, uh, Ken McAfee was in town this past weekend. And Ken McAfee and Ross Browner had maybe the all-time greatest heavyweight fight in Bengal bouts history. Now, it wasn't a varsity sport or whatever, but uh, Rudy Rudiger was a Bengal bouts champion, mm-hmm. the world-famous Rudy Rudiger. And, Just uh, ask him. Yeah, and uh, when you, know, you look at uh, the same year that McAfee and 
Ross Browner fought. Jim Browner fought uh, uh, Doug uh, Becker. Doug Becker. And you talk about, you know, that was a preliminary. That was like leading up to, oh, my God, what a what a day for boxing. And now they don't allow the, the athletes. Randy Payne was a good boxer. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine, and let's face it, scholarship money is different now. The, the world is different now. Yeah. But can you imagine what you would get today if you threw – Michael Mayer into a ring against Isaiah Foskey. Ooh. <laughs> You'd pack the place. Yeah, You'd of course you would. Place. Which the idea of the Bengal Bouts is a fundraiser, and I'm sure the McAfee Browner fight right. packed the place. But in those days, they held the Bengal Bouts back in the Stepping Center. They didn't hold well, it. The, the championship in, match was in the Joyce. Oh, they did move it to the Joyce. They Joyce put about Center. seven, eight thousand. I bet you they there. did. I can still remember the guy with the trumpet up on top playing the Rocky theme, you know, da da da, and uh, the place was electric, and uh, and it was a great fundraiser for the Bengal missions, and uh, and it continues to be a great tradition in Notre Dame, uh, although they've limited some of the guys. I offered to fight one time, and they they said, "What would your name be in the ring?" And I said, "Kid Candle, one blow and he's out." Hey now, hey, but uh, no, I uh, I. Box against Harold Brazier one time, and I would have hit him really hard, but I couldn't catch him. Yeah, so that that can happen. But uh, getting back to uh, uh, the list of athletes and uh, the multi-sporters, the multi-sport. I think a Kevin Hardy, who played you know for Airport Seagan, played defense. He played uh, a defensive tackle, but he also played basketball and baseball, and uh, so uh, he was there. And then the famous uh, team with Austin Carr, Sid Catlett. Callis Jones, Jackie Meehan, and your center is a 6'8 sophomore from El Segundo, California, John Pleck. And John Pleck was a football player. Really? Yep. But uh, at 6'8, we can use you. Yeah. So his, his job was to rebound. And, 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 and here's the thing, John. Don't take any shots because we got plenty of guys to do that. <laughs> exactly. Your job is to watch Austin Carr's shot go in. Which that was enjoyable to watch. Which they did, yeah. Um, Outside of football, probably a little more difficult combination, but you mentioned Pat Connaughton. We'll get to him in a little bit. But the real predecessor to Pat Connaughton in terms of a basketball, baseball player was Ron Reed. Right. Ron Reed grew up in LaPorte, Indiana, which is a stone's throw from where we record this in, in South Bend. And LaPorte is well known as a great baseball community. But Ron Reed was probably one of the best basketball players ever to come out of there for a long time until the three-point shot was put into high school basketball. He held the Laporte scoring records. And of course, Ron went on, played a little bit in the NBA, but then had a lengthy career in baseball, Mm -hmm. uh, primarily pitching for the Phillies and the Braves. Yeah, had a great career and was a great gentleman. You you know, one of those guys that you you meet after his career is long over and you're thinking he's going to carry a little bit of that swag with him. You never met a more down-to-earth kind gentleman who was just eager to relive those moments and share the feeling of what it was like to be a dual-sport athlete. I'm not sure he's ever really gotten his due due acknowledgement at Notre Dame. Yeah. I mean, his name's his name is never going to hang from the ring of honor. Right. But in terms of Notre Dame baseball players, I, I doubt that there have been any that probably have more wins in Major League Baseball than Ron Reed. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I think he was uh, 
And and the thing was when he played for Jake Klein, uh, he not only was a great pitcher, but if he wasn't pitching, he used his arm somewhere else. He had plenty in the infield. So uh, Ron was a great athlete and a, and a pretty good hitter too. He said one of the things about uh, you know when he got to Major League Baseball, don't worry about hitting. He said, I'd love to hit. Yeah, I love to swing the bat. No, I I think he probably as a pitcher batted somewhere around 200, which, I mean, let's face it, when you're hitting as little as a major league pitcher did even back in the day, 200 average is pretty impressive. Then you go from there, um, you mentioned Frank Alaco, your buddy who played for Digger. There were quite a few members of the football team on Digger's first team because Digger's first team was the year after Austin Carr, Sid Catlett, Collis Jones, at all graduated and the cupboard was pretty bare it was pretty bare uh he used to uh, talk about roger anderson uh keeping him on the roster to keep the gpa up which was really important especially the first year uh i believe they won five or six games and uh so he was looking for athletes and he he found a lot of help from the football team including a pair of brothers who uh, had been Impressive in football, but here they were helping Digger. Willie Townsend was a tremendous receiver for Joe Theismann on the football team, and his brother Michael went on to be very good defensive back. But both the Townsend brothers were on the basketball team, as well as Frank Alaco. So it, it's rather amazing when you look at Digger's first team, how many football players he had. And Digger was not shy about going to the football team if he needed help in the early 80s. Uh, Notre Dame had a diminutive but speedy wide receiver by the name of Joe Howard. Harry Callis used to do the games, <laughs> and he'd call him Small Wonder Joe Howard. That's right. Well, lo and behold, um, there were some academic problems and some injuries on a on a basketball team. I think it was 84, and Joe Howard joined the basketball team and made a pretty sizable contribution, as I recall, to that 83, 84, 84, 85 team. Oh, yeah. He was uh, not only offensively uh, a powerhouse, but he also defensively would come up with a big steal and a breakaway basket. And, uh, yeah, he could fly, and uh, he was terrific, uh, terrific athlete. And uh, uh, he was just one of those, you know, if, if you've come up through high school, and, again, they used to love it when you played. You know, when I was in high school, our coach wanted, if you were playing football in the fall, you got to either wrestle or play basketball in the winter. And you ran track or played baseball in the spring for several reasons. You're going to develop other talents, but you're also going to stay busy and you're going to stay out of trouble and you're going to stay, you know, where a coach has got an eye on you. And all those things worked. And uh, uh, again, I don't know any coach that wasn't glad that their athletes came in and having played other sports. You got to make a decision, you know. And there was, uh, well, Mike, Mike Heaton, who was from near my hometown in Illinois, came in as a tight end backup kicker. And uh, the you know the biggest question ever is who backed up Joe Zaro? Okay, is no, that the biggest question no, ever? Nobody really no, cares. No. But Mike Heaton was the backup kicker, but he also was an All-American golfer when he was at Notre Dame. So uh, there was a, a lot of those things going on in those days. Now, as you get up to recent years, I, I think the first two sport athlete that I can remember covering at Notre Dame would have been Jeff Samarja. And Jeff Samarja, of course, became legendary on the football team, catching passes from Brady Quinn, uh, basically won the game against UCLA in 2006 
with uh, a dynamic 53-yard reception where he juked a couple of Bruins on the way to the end zone, sent Don Crickey into uh, ecstasy. (laughs) But that place, and I think you were probably either hosting Paul's show or doing the games around this time. Any night Samarja would pitch, and that was usually a Friday night during the spring because that would free him up to go to scrimmages and practices on Saturday. But let's face it, the guy also showed that he went to the major leagues and pitched for 15 years. So it makes sense for him to be the Friday night number one starter. Any game that he would pitch, that stadium was absolutely packed. Yep. I can I remember one night, and I think it might have been right before the Blue Gold game. Yeah, uh, Jeff Smart is going to be our starting pitcher, and there's all kinds of people in town for the Blue Gold game, and they got uh, Tom Zbikowski and Brady Quinn to come throw out the first pitch for the game. So you got the three big wheels on the football team coming to the baseball stadium, and again, you know, it was always packed when Jeff was pitching, but this had there's. 10,000 people milling around and wanting to see these guys. And, uh, and it was great. And I, you know, and you look at uh, a guy like Brady Quinn, you know, he, uh, again, a three sport, three sport athlete in high school, but uh, had to focus on football. But, uh, that was a unique group, a unique, uh, clique of uh, young men who really, uh, did any success we had in those days attributed to those, those three. So then after Samarja, I had the pleasure of, uh, taking the mic for Notre Dame Baseball in 2009. And at that point, they added a young man to the team by the name of Golden Tate, who went on to a very good NFL career and obviously carried the offense for the 2008 and 2009 Charlie Weiss editions of Notre Dame football. But Golden Tate, as a baseball player, was a pretty good baseball player. I wouldn't say that he was big league necessarily, but he could do. Uh, you watched him go from first to home. <laughs> Hello, I mean that dude was moving. And Golden Tate's only collegiate home run hit to the opposite field and beat a highly ranked Louisville team on a Sunday afternoon down there. I think in a thirteen to twelve type of game, the kind you had in college baseball before they changed the bats. Yeah, he Golden Tate. I, I, things you remember. Uh, if you walked him, that was a triple. Yeah. Because he's going to steal second. <laughs> Unless you picked him off, which yeah. he was susceptible well, to that. He did get picked off a few times. But I remember, you know, like you'd be in first base and somebody would get a gapper. And you know he's going to score. I mean, you just know it. And the other teams did too because they hit the cutoff man and they go to the base wherever the batter was. But, uh, yeah, he was so exciting to, to watch him play. And then – of course, uh, Tory Hunter was kind of the uh, uh, or um, not, was well, Tory Hunt, Tory Hunter Jr. Jr. Yeah, well, receiver uh, on the football team. Right, uh, probably quite frankly best known for getting his bell rung so badly against Texas, and there was no targeting call on that one either. <laughs> uh, and, and that's when targeting was actually a rule. <laughs> so, but uh, as a baseball player. You know, the funny thing about Tori is, of course, he had to carry the mantle of the fact that his father was a well-known baseball player for the Minnesota Twins. Now, Tori made some terrific defensive catches. At the bat, he never really adjusted to the breaking ball. He was kind of the Pedro Serrano 
of uh, <laughs> of Notre Dame baseball. Fastball, very very good. Uh, if it if it bends, it ends the at bat. <laughs> and uh, but Tory, to his credit, wound up playing in the minor leagues for for quite some time yeah. after he left here. Yeah, well, they were familiar with his name and his potential. Yeah, and they uh, they tried to work with him, but uh, wonderful young man and uh, helped our programs here at Notre Dame. And uh, I just, you know, when you've got an athlete like that, and I remember uh, we had a, a track coach, assistant track coach, Coach Miller. Yeah. John Miller. And John Miller used to be available to work with any of our athletes, especially wide receivers, on getting a good start out of the gate. He was a speed man with Notre Dame track, worked with Joe Piani, and he would work with the sprinters and how to get a good start and all that. And some of the football players would go there on a suggestion from the head coach, like, you know, go work with Coach Miller. And they'd come out of there, and it was unbelievable how much. Well, and, that, and they'd run in some of the track events, too. Yeah. I mean, remember the Loftus Center being packed for an indoor event that Rocket ran in. It's a Rocket. I remember him. Yeah. Regib Ismael. <laughs> uh, and, yes, he could motor. And and those were, were fun events to watch. And he wasn't the only one from the football team. You mentioned there were there were a number of football players. Obviously, track is kind of a natural move from football because sure. it, your speed people are going to help a track team, especially in the sprints. Yeah, and a lot of your uh, same tools that you use in football are uh, certainly uh, available for track and field. And I know over the years we also had some guys that did shot put and, uh, and you know offensive, defensive linemen that had done that in high school. And I think about uh, Bob Golick, you know, a nationally ranked wrestler back when we had a wrestling well, program. Well, both the Golicks, Bob right. and Mike. I saw Mike at an event uh, this summer, and uh, when I greeted him, I said, I'm sure Brother Joseph Bruno would say hello. <laughs> and he says, oh, my gosh, I haven't heard that name. Brother Joseph Bruno for a while was the Notre Dame wrestling coach, at least in name. Uh, Notre Dame... Notre Dame never really invested in its wrestling program. No. Uh, they they tried for a, a little bit, and they brought in uh, an accomplished coach in Fran McCann, right. who who did a good job with the team. But really, when the Golic boys were wrestling, and they both went to NCAA finals, right. uh, they, they were doing it, I think, despite the coaching, not necessarily <laughs> with the help of the coaching. Yeah, they, uh, you know, and you mentioned uh, the, the coach you, know, you just mentioned. Fran guy, McCann, uh, Brother Joseph Bruno. Brother Joseph Bruno was also like one of the strength coaches around campus. You know, a lot of guys went and worked with him to, to, to work on their strength and conditioning because you didn't have a weight room like you have now. No. So if you're going to find that help, it was available, but you had to go looking for it, you know, and uh, so – one of the things I want to do, and I know the time goes flying when we're talking, but I'll talk about the Pat Connaughton situation. Because uh, with baseball, you have a limited number of scholarships. And so if a young man wants to come to Notre Dame, which is a pretty sizable uh, investment for the parents, it's going to cost you a lot of money. And so the Connaughtons were not in position where they wanted to pay the full tuition. So if Pat couldn't get a full scholarship, and he could have gone to any school, in the state school, and gotten a full ride. And he wanted to come to Notre Dame, and it wasn't going to work out. And Mike Brace said, wait a minute. I've got scholarships available for basketball. 
let me give him a baseball or a basketball scholarship, and then I'll allow him to play baseball. And so it worked out, obviously. And when Pat finished, he was drafted by the Baltimore Orioles. Yes. And uh, so he could have just gone and started his minor league career. And, and says, most people thought he would. Yeah. And he said, no, I've got to come back and play one more year of basketball. And they're like, are you serious? He, Mike Bray went out of his way to make this all possible for me. Am I going to come back and play for him? You're darn right, I mean, he and Grant teamed up and had a very successful year. And I don't know if you heard, but Pat won an NBA championship not too long ago. So he's, you know, you talk about a guy that's uh, not getting the publicity maybe that he deserves. Well, the interesting thing is, so he goes to Portland with his first NBA deal. And everybody's like, okay, well, after this year is over, he's he's going to go back to baseball because, you know, that's the sport that he's going to have greater longevity in. That's the sport where he's going to make more money. And Pat was – Pat's very practical. He, he's a terrific businessman. Right. And he gets that from his father, Len. <laughs> and he's got a good head on his shoulders. And he said, look, if I go to baseball, i got to make it up through the minor leagues. And, yes, I have talent, but so do a lot of those guys. And there's no guarantee. I'm already in the top professional league in basketball. Let me ply my trade here and make sure that I do what I'm supposed to do to stay in the league. Well, what is it now? He's been around seven, eight years right. in the NBA and making some some pretty good stretch. We can we can cancel the telethon for Pat. Right. Yeah. He's uh, and you know, he's been such a great example of what an athlete can do to help a ball club. You know, he was never gonna be the guy with Milwaukee. Right. But the other guys were better because of him and his unselfishness and He he has a niche role. He is a three point shooter and he is a rebounder. He is a great rebounder. Th- those are the things that they ask. Obviously you've got to play some defense too, and he does that. But he understands what his role is with the team, and the team understands and appreciates his role with them. And he's never a guy that's gonna get you in trouble. I think he's a wonderful fit in Milwaukee. He is that kind of blue-collar player that they love up there. Uh, going back to the days of John McLaughlin, yeah. back with the Bucks of, of Larry Costello. So not surprising that Pat has succeeded. Maybe surprising in the sport that he has succeeded. Much like people told Samarja, oh, you should go to football, because they saw him having success in football and figured he'd be a great fit. And Jeff Samarja is like, why do I want to get hit <laughs> I, I might get hit in baseball, but that's because teams use bats and hit the ball somewhere. Right. Uh, and the longevity of his career in baseball shows that the Shark made the right decision there, much as Pat has made the right decision here. Yeah, I remember when Jim Hendry was the general manager of the Cubs and they drafted Jeff, and he gave him a five-year contract for $10 million. Now, the guy hasn't pitched once, but he had a great ability. He had used a great physical specimen. Again, one of those guys could have played all three sports. But uh, he, Jim Hendry said, I, get, I have to get him to give up football, which is a very lucrative opportunity. So he paid him that kind of money. And he said, the other thing I need to do is I need him to stay in baseball for five years so he can physically mature. And uh, you think back of uh, Nolan Ryan came up at 180 pounds, pitched his best baseball at 240. Uh, Jeff Samarja was uh, – very fit and very strong young man, but he was also 
uh, needed to develop a third pitch. He needed to be able to get the third pitch over. Uh, he needed some work to do. And I remember at the end of his first year, he, he, he was pitching in minor leagues. And after the season was over, the minor leagues ends before major league, they just sent him home. And he's like, well, don't you want me to go? No, we want you to go home, eat, and uh, continue to grow and fill out. And, and he did. And uh, he was an innings eater in the major leagues. Yeah. And he, you talk about guys, you try to get a guy to maybe pitch 150 innings these days. And, oh, that's great. It used to be Warren Spahn and those guys, Bob Gibson, 300 innings, 280 innings. Well, the game's a lot different. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. But Jeff uh, – Jeff always pitched in a proper manner. They didn't get worn out. He didn't hurt himself. And, uh, man, he had a great run. And uh, teams wanted him because he could eat up. You got to have 1,600 innings of pitching in a major league season, and he would take his share. Well, Cole Komet was fun to watch pitch in the in the couple of years that he was pitching for Mick Aoki's squad and, and the fact that he would come in out of the bullpen most of the time. Now, they would start him occasionally in a midweek game. Again, I think lots of time that was as much to try to draw a gate as anything else because, let's face it, if you say a guy from the football team is the starting pitcher today, you're more likely to get the casual Notre Dame person to come by Frank X Stadium. Right. Uh, but most of the time, Komet was used as a as a fireballer coming out of the bullpen, and his he threw it 95, 96. Yes, he did. And now the problem was the one pass that he threw in a football game. Didn't he throw a pass in a bowl game one time that just uh, – it didn't Fluttered quite look like the Garo Premium Super Bowl pass, <laughs> but it, it wasn't pretty. His excuse was, well, the ball was wet. It slipped in my hand. Yeah, it was sort of like uh, an old Bobby Douglas pass. It was an option pass. You yeah. could catch either end. Yeah. It was it was slipping over on the way. But, uh, yeah, you know, and one of the things that's – you know, if you, if you bounce this ahead to today – and you see our coaches recruiting for football. And um, this guy is a three-sports star or whatever, but he's just going to play football. Uh, well, I, I really don't mind if a kid gets here and he's got the wherewithal to play another sport. You know, they can work it around. You know, the, uh, we had a, a quarterback that uh, was uh, with us a few years ago. And uh, he also played baseball. Oh, Evan Sharpley. Evan Sharpley. Yeah. And, and uh, Evan Sharpley, uh, you know, the problem was he was so busy with football that when he came out for baseball, the coach would say, you know, when will you be ready? And he'd say, well, in a couple of weeks. Well, there's only, you know, three more weeks of the season, so it was tough to get Evan up to speed in that. But uh, he and his brother were both pretty good pitchers at Notre Dame. But, again, a two-sport athlete. And uh, Drake Bowen, who is currently being recruited by the Irish, a commit. In fact, he's very active in getting the other recruits here out of Andrean High School. Very good baseball player, and I would not be surprised at all if they took a look at him as a multi-sport athlete once he gets here. Yeah. So I think that's going to fill our time today for Irish all Tales. Right. Shocking that you're able to fill time. <laughs> fill who? Yes, exactly. Oh, who did he play for? There you have it. So that's going to do it for this edition of Irish Tales. For the Tailmaster, Bob Nagel, Chuck Freebie, thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Sports Yak Presents Irish Tales on the Studio DNA Podcast Network. In 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.